Hi, everybody. Welcome to another Driven Hunter podcast brought to you by Mission Crossbows. And this week, we are joined with a special guest all the way from Iowa, Mr. Chris Duncan from Muddy Outdoors. Today, Chris, we are going to have some fun. We're going to be talking a lot about big deer hunting because you know a lot more than I do about it. I don't know about that, but (laughs) we're going to have a lot of fun and we're going to talk a little bit about some of the new products that Muddy's coming out with. Of course, we've been a huge fan of Muddy for years. Yep. We were just talking about like how many years has it been since we really got involved with Muddy. And but before that, it was actually big game. Big game. Big game tree stands. That goes back to, I believe, 06, I think we, we joined forces. So it's been a long time already. Can I make you feel old right now? It's, yeah. I was, I was uh, just graduating high school then. <laughs> well, I know I'm a lot <laughs> older than you, but you know, we don't have to tell everybody. Yeah, right? That's true. <laughs> uh, man, Todd and, and Ryan and everybody over there, it's just been become like family over the years. And we hang out together and have a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, your products muddy products and back in the day big game it always stood the test of time and and the quality was just superior we've used it i mean if we weren't in the business we would still buy the product and use it and that's why it's worked so well for us because we don't have to like try to incorporate it it's just natural for us so And we appreciate that. And, and we'll talk lots about the different products that you got in your line today. But, man, we appreciate you being here. It's yeah, going to be fun. No problem. Yeah, you guys do a great job for us. I'm glad to be here. Well, so I know you come from Iowa. And, of course, we live in Minnesota. And we all drool about ha- being Iowa residents. How How is it living in Iowa for big deer? I'm, I feel pretty fortunate to live down there. You know, I grew up hunting in south-central Iowa down by Albia. So that area is always been known as a you know a big buck mecca hotbed yeah and uh it's i've been fortunate in those in those regards um you know it's just like last week i went and checked cameras and there was a big deer it seemed like on every one of them so very very lucky um unfortunately though i also found a big buck in a pond floating on you know last week yep so we we've uh where you guys don't get ehd we do especially in dry years and Right now, it's just crazy dry. It's everything's brown, and uh, we had this really bad in 2012, and it wiped out. I think that uh, between myself and the neighbors and Monroe County, where I hunt, uh, and that's just in this one area, we found 20 some dead bucks. Are you kidding me? Yep. So, and that was on, you know, between collectively probably 3,000 acres, and that's just what we know about. So, it that's really, nuts. it's a bummer. It's a bummer. And, you know, it's, it, yeah, this year it's... reminds me a lot of that as far as just kind of leading into it. I'm hoping like right now I was just looking at the radar before and it's starting to rain down there. So I hope that I noticed you looking at your phone a lot today and that's what it was. You're looking yeah. for rain. Yeah. I'm Praying watching for rain. Yeah. All of us are down there. So I can't imagine, you know, it's just, it's like somebody comes in and just poaches your farm yeah and shoots all the big ones and and it seems like it really hits the for whatever reason i don't i don't i'm not a biologist but it seems like we lose more bucks than does uh, when this happens and the buck that i just found um you know he was a four-year-old that was probably right about 160 and we passed him up um well we passed him up when he was a two-year-old we have match set we passed him up last year multiple times and he was an impressive deer last year i mean he was upper 140s as a you know three-year-old and we're like man this thing's gonna blow up and this year he showed up and he, uh, like I said, he was about 160. So it was sad to uh, find him oh, like that. And I'm, I'm hoping that it's fairly isolated. 
but after I found him, I asked around a few people and the neighbor up the road, oh, probably two miles, he found a deer that was, uh, he thought was six and a half. He had photos of it for three years. So Ooh. it was a mid sixties and, um, yeah. hopefully, hopefully it just, hopefully that range. Shows yeah. Up, right? We'll see. We'll see. Man, I cannot, I mean, up here we don't deal with EHD yeah. and, uh, I mean, I think there's a, a number of reasons. I mean, we're a lot colder up here anyways, yep. but I, we don't get the uh, the evaporation process and the mud banks that you get from when that water line recedes and exposes those mud banks, and that's where those uh, midges ha- hatch out from, right? I yes. mean, tell me, you know, what do you know about EHD, and, and what is it exactly? Yeah, so from what, I've, what I'm told, and like I said, I'm not a biologist by any means, but basically on drought years when you have the exposed mud that is where these midge flies uh, basically become very prevalent they lay eggs in it and um, they transmit the ehd virus to whitetails and um, it doesn't typically what i'm told it doesn't take too long for them to die usually within 72 hours but then i've talked to other people that say you know if they don't die right away that there's a you know a good chance that they'll die later on um and you and then, find them around water sources, right? Yeah, in, two, in 2012, I think generally, probably. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, yeah, in 2012, we we were finding them everywhere, though. We were finding them in ponds. We were finding them in creeks, which would make sense because there was water there, and they those, those deer get super high, um, you know, body temps, and they feel like they're burning up, so they go to water to cool down. But I mean, I had I have buddies at farm, and they were finding bucks out in the middle of cornfields. Um, laying on the middle of hay fields. So I think when it gets... They're just real, dying all over. They were just happened, dying all over. And it happens this time of year. I mean, it happens from this, uh, you know, first part of August through, what, freeze time? Yeah, and that's what they say. They said if you get the first freeze, then typically, you know, you're good because it'll kill off that midge. But I know in 2012, we usually we have a first freeze down where I'm at right around the 15th or 20th of October. And we did that year and we were all going, you know, thank God it's over. And then all of a sudden it was that first week in November and it warmed up again and we started finding them again. So I don't think the freeze was, you know, hard enough to kill kill all those midges. And then as soon as it warmed up here, they came back again. And, uh, that was, you know, just a second coming of, of it again. And I don't know how many deer we lost, but I know it was a, it had to have been, 40% 40% of our bucks on our farms. Oh my God. And then 2013 came around and it didn't seem as bad, but yeah. we lost more bucks. But I think that, there, you know, there was so many that just weren't there that maybe that's the reason why. Right. Um, and now your, your herd is built back up here yeah. over the past couple of years. And, yes. and now here you're faced with it right head on again. Yeah. It's built to a point now where it's definitely pre- EHD pre 2012 EHD again and and honestly I think it's even better than that right now down there talking to you know the all my friends down there that are pretty much diehards we all have the same consensus that there's a lot of big deer in southern Iowa right now um, spread clear you know clear across the state and um, it's it's going to be very unfortunate if we have to go through it again and I think that back in 2012 when we saw it happening we were we knew it was bad, but I don't think we knew how bad it really would be for years to come because it's not something where, you know, all of a sudden, boom, next year you're hunting 170 inch deer consistently again. And I think that's the most unfortunate part of it is that it takes, you know, it takes five or six years to fully recover to a point to 
hunt yeah, the sure. animals a lot of us want to hunt. Right. I mean, it takes four or five years to grow a trophy buck. Yes. And then you, you know, they die off, so you get a hunt. It doesn't, I heard it doesn't affect the young, like fawn crop and stuff like that, those yearlings, as much as it does a mature deer. Yeah. And it's not just bucks, does too. Yep. And uh, I mean, it's not just in Iowa. I heard it, you know, Kansas has outbreaks. Clint Walker down there, wicked. Of course, a friend of ours, you know, he's uh, back in 2012 as well. He had a, you know, an EHD die off. And um, I haven't heard anything from him yet this year. I should give Clint a call, but. I've heard of a few other areas being affected by EHD right now, down in Iowa particularly, but I've I've seen it over where we hunt with our friends Darren and Sherry over at uh, you know in that west central part of Illinois. So it spreads from Kansas through Illinois and Iowa, Missouri, northern yeah. Missouri. It's it can stay down there. I'll keep it away from Minnesota here. Yeah. <laughs> One thing we did do this year was we decided after 2012 we're like you know what we need to. Uh, really try to diversify the areas we're hunting. So, because it seems like it is in pockets, you know, like let's just take a few counties, for example, let's say Monroe County, where we do quite a bit of hunting. Let's say Monroe County just gets smoked by EHD and then maybe two counties either direction, it might not be as bad. And that's even on a larger scale. There might be a farm that just gets smoked in one area and four miles away, it's not as bad. So Maybe because of they got little, uh, no rainstorm came through, you know, a month too earlier, and it mm-hmm. gave it a little bit of rain that helped that's, keep that's those what water I'm levels thinking. up. So like this year, I mean, we've got some farms that that we've gained access to that may, they might be an hour away, hour and a half away from from where I typically live at, and we did that for a reason. I mean, it wasn't because it was going to be convenient to drive to those farms. It was. Because if if you put all your eggs in one basket in one spot down there, I mean you could it could be over. You, yes, exactly. Wow. Man, I don't. I didn't, I didn't mean to start the podcast off with a dark topic <laughs> like hey, this. You know what? It's a great topic. Yeah. It really is because there's a lot of people right now doing a lot of praying, and they are worried to death about. It. And I would be too if I owned a big farm down there. I know the Drury Boys, the big friends of ours. Well, they're doing a rain dance right now. They're hoping for moisture because they are faced with EHD just like you yeah. are. And that's got to be crazy. I mean, we we have our own sets of issues up here. We're dealing with CWD in just the adjacent county to where we live, um, and we're a little we're scared of it because we're more paranoid about the state coming in and you know depleting our deer herd mm-hmm. and and affecting our our deer herd here, you know, locally, which everybody, you know, naturally is. And and not enough is really known about CWD yet. Yeah. Uh, I know that, you know, there's being a lot more focus and there's a lot of people that are, that are a little bit more worried than they ever have been before from the management side and landowner side to, you know, the actual hunter. It's know. definitely a hot topic right now. It is. And, and, and we need to pay attention to it as hunters. Um, and, and understand it a little bit more and know what we got to do to keep it from spreading. Um, I know Minnesota just, just recently has, has put more restrictions on transportation, uh, in and out of state of wild game where, you know, we never used to think, Hey, shoot a deer right across the river. I mean, Wisconsin, Buffalo County here is five minutes from here. Yeah. Yep. You can't just go over and shoot a deer over there and bring it back in the state here and think that not, you know, take it to your processor or your taxidermist. Uh, now, you know, you bring in something in from out of state, I believe you got to, 
you got to go through the process of having it, you know, processed and, and uh, skull plates cleaned and a lot of other things. And they're trying to control the, the spread of the disease. So, you know, CWD is definitely a topic that we're going to be dealing with, obviously EHD and everything else. I mean, we all love white-tailed deer. Yes. But there's... Uh, there's some stuff that goes along with it too, right? There is. It seems like there's so many things against against these animals, but what right. do you do? You know? They're hard enough to kill. Mm-hmm. They're not hard enough to shoot a big buck, of course, but uh, then you got to deal with all these other parameters and stuff. But, uh, you know, Iowa, where you live, is just, I know that there's been a lot of recent focus on Iowa. Of course, we've been part of it, you know, over the years. We've hunted a lot in Iowa. Yep. We just you know, get a tag every so often. It's, it's, about it's five, tough. Is it about five years now? For, for an archery tag. You got okay, yeah, five right. years. Wow. That seems like that's a long wait for one tag. Yeah. Usually the guys I talk to, they, they, you know, they say, man, it's a, it's a long wait. The archery hunters, they say it's a long wait, but uh, mm-hmm. typically when they draw that tag, it's worth it. So I think. Right. If you're there, I always said the magical day to go to Iowa with an archery tag is November 10th. I don't know. It's always been the my favorite day. Yep. It's, it's a good like day. Deer. I've never seen so many big bucks on their feet as I have when I've been sitting in the stand in Iowa. Just a couple years ago, I took a really nice deer right down in your area. Okay. On uh, on Larry Pokerback's farm. You know? Do, you know what, do you know what county that is by chance? It's just by uh, Osceola there. Oh, that's, yep. So Clark County area. Y- unit, that's, yeah. that's good. Unit Zone five. five. Yep. It was, uh, you know, peak of the rut, and they were just cruising and i mean you know if if you messed up on one big one you just sat tight and it wouldn't be an hour later and there'd be another big one coming by so yeah i never seen anything like it and of course you know it's a lot different hunting up here you know we have to deal with this bluff country and a lot of hills and ridges and and ravines and stuff and these deer you know they use that to their advantage up here i always said it hunting up here in in the bluff country is probably the hardest hunting anywhere there is for whitetails and it's not that the whitetails themselves are harder to hunt you know because they're not any smarter than a deer in iowa but they use that ground to their advantage and of course the wind and stuff is so much trickier to uh outsmart them and and they'll catch you a lot easier and they got the visual on you which mm-hmm. you're not hunting on flat ground with true winds you're you're in these you know, hills and stuff where it's it's definitely tricky. And I, I'll yeah. tell you, we'll talk a little bit about that today. We're going to be actually touching on uh, some of your new muddy uh, bull blinds yep. and the penthouses that you talk about one way to fool a deer in their nose is getting in these blinds that you had. I think that's going to be a cool topic to talk about because that's honestly, that's the future of where everything's going Yeah, uh, is, uh, is these blinds. So... Anyways, um, let's talk. Go, of, going, going. Speaking on your point though about where you're where you're living at up here, that's one thing I noticed on the drive up. I meant I mentioned to Taylor when we were driving up. I said these deer up here seem like they would be so much harder to hunt than where I'm at down there because, you know, down there I can hunt. If you, I mean there are big pockets of timber, and those deer I found out are pretty tough to hunt even compared to. They're not as hard as up here, but like what we started doing is just trying to find big wide open areas that have draws and a mix of crp with ag and cattle pasture and and then it's just so much easier to figure out where the deer are going to go right and it just ups your odds so much and finding those funnels are easy it seems like easier you can actually look at a topple of iowa or northern missouri where you hunt and 
you can kind of see those funnel situations right from the topple and, mm-hmm. and then go in and kind of eliminate it's like bass fishermen do it kind of eliminate a lot of that dead water yep and a lot of that dead wood mm-hmm. it, woods and just go right to those little key spots or funnels or pinches and and get set up in those areas and play the wind and bam yep. just be there at the right time of year yeah, just wait till the time's right and move in. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, say, so let's let me ask you if if you don't mind, what is Iowa your favorite state to hunt, or is there another state that you like? Is, I wish I knew. I've never really left. I don't. <laughs> I wouldn't either, man. If I lived there and could get three tags. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I. So I'm not a landowner, so I only get two. But yeah, if you're a landowner, you get three. And Todd, who owns money, you need to buy some land, and I got a deal for you because I am a realtor now, and I I can sell you some land. We might need to talk then. (laughs) Yeah, Todd makes fun of me because when I first started working here, you know, he he goes, "Are you comfortable leaving the state?" And he's just joking, obviously. But I remember we had to fly to, you know, Shot Show in Vegas. That's the first time I'd been there. Flew to Kentucky for ATA show, and you know, Todd is—he's always poking at you a little bit. So. Yeah, right. I, I definitely know that that's Todd. Yeah. So he was he was poking jabs at me that I wasn't uh, going to be comfortable leaving the state of Iowa. So yeah, this I, is your first time out of the state. I mean, welcome to Minnesota. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> no, you've been here before. But yeah, that, my favorite state to hunt. Honestly, the only places I've ever hunted are Iowa for whitetail, and I went to Montana for mule deer, and that's been about all I've done. Turkey yeah. hunted a few different states, but so your favorite state is Iowa to hunt. Yeah. Your second favorite state to hunt is Iowa. And yeah. your third favorite state happens to be Iowa. Yeah. I really have no plans of leaving unless all the deer die VHD, then I might just come up here. I don't know. Everybody that's listening right now envies you. Okay. <laughs> I, including myself. I don't I don't blame you. I wouldn't leave Iowa either if I lived there. But uh we got I mean we'll talk a little bit more about you know where we're gonna hunt this what year. What about you? I, there's a lot of you know, Iowa's got to be in that top one or two or three. You know, but I got, I've been fortunate enough to get the chance to hunt different places. But here in Minnesota, you get one tag. Yeah. You know, and I tell people, hey, people get rather bored with driven if they only seen one deer hunt a year because that's all we can do is harvest one buck, yep. you know, per hunter. So that's why I had so many kids. Can we get more tags that way? Yep. <laughs> Fill the <freezer>. exactly. <laughs> but uh, no, it, it's it's great hunting up here. But and this is home, you know. It's where I grew up, and I'm used to hunting here. It's tradition up here, which is pretty cool. Yep. Um, is this the area you, you grew up in? I grew up right on this very farm. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's neat. Shot my first squirrel about fifty yards behind us here. So you know so, this area very well. Oh yeah, I know I know this area very well. I know the neighbors very well. That's cool. That's and good. yeah, it's a great place to raise your kids. Yep. Great school systems, but more importantly, we're perfectly centrally located for hunting big deer. You know, not just here in our home state, southeastern part of the state of Minnesota here, but also Buffalo County, Wisconsin, which is number one county in the world for P and Ys, yep. is just ten minutes away to the east and then if i go 45 minutes south i'm into iowa yeah if i yep. can get lucky to draw a tag no that's that elma key area and that's where i'm selling real estate now but that area is kind of a sleeper you know i mean i know there's a big focus to southern iowa but uh the northeastern corner of of iowa is pretty hot and and it's a lot like buffalo county it's really you know bluff country and it's rugged country but of course, there's a lot of big mature deer in there, and and uh, I think that you know, 
that is an area that uh, has been overlooked a little bit. And so we're excited about being down there. And I've, I've hunted there the last year and saw some big deer and uh, got some friends that live down there. And I'm going to focus in on selling real estate in that country. And uh, it's because I think there's some opportunity there. Yeah. And you can buy land a lot cheaper there than you can here in Minnesota. It's just, there's just a difference in price. So, yeah. And there's just as many big deer there. I mean... What's that? There's just as many big deer across oh, the border yeah. there. There's there's probably more. Yeah. You know, there's certainly more than there is here in Minnesota. We get more hunting pressure because we have a, a longer gun season here. Is and it our dur- gun is season it happens. It happens during the rut. Yeah, that that's that's the bad thing that we got going for us here in Minnesota, honestly, is that we put a lot of pressure with firearms on our deer during the rut period. And our gun season usually here in the southeastern side comes in around that first weekend of November. Oh man. Right at Prime the peak. time. Yep. And then they get hunted the entire month of November with guns and then and towards the end it's muzzleloader but uh, into that first week of December. So there's you, a ton of pressure and there's a lot of hunters out there. Can you use a bow during gun season or not? You can. You got to you got to wear orange, but that that is nice that you can go out there and You've probably really started to focus more on October than as with as an archer. I mean, trying yeah, to... I try to kill them early season. Yeah, you know, I mean, you've seen what we've done here recently. I mean, back to back years, Nicole and myself just tagging giants that first week of the season, and we're gonna get into uh, that's a good segue about talking about you know some of our favorite times of the year to hunt and why. Kind of like to pick your brain about that because yep. I'm sure you got some good input on on uh, you know when you like your favorite times to get out there in the field. But I think that, you know, looking at it from the old days, there wasn't a lot of guys that like to go out early season. No, they, they, they don't want it. They don't want to get out there. It was hot. They don't want it. It was buggy. They wanted for wait till that, that frost, you know, killed off the leaves and their foliage. And it seemed more like deer hunting. You yes. Know? Yep. You just, you felt better as a hunter going out there in a cool crisp morning and seeing the steam come out of your mouth and stuff like that and and uh instead of going out there and sweating to death but honestly uh you know you know better than anybody that there's some real opportunity to take some giant bucks well ahead of that period in that early season when they're more patternable you know and uh catching them when they're not rutting and and, you know locked down with a doe they're just they're more predictable totally totally if if you can find one moving in daylight and it wasn't until probably 2000 honestly it was probably four years ago that we really started figuring it out i mean because back in the day you know i would just i did extreme one way to the extreme the other way where when i first started bow hunting i would go out every chance i got and i didn't really know what i was doing and um I think I obviously messed up a lot. And then I got to the point where I said, you know, I started reading different things and then, you know, everybody talked about the October lull and hey, just you're wasting your time right now. So then I, I just said, I'm not even going to go till the rut. I went off to college and whatever else. And I wasn't back until I said, okay, these are the 10 days I'm going to hunt. And I started, I think just as a bow hunter itself, you know, I figured out more how to, how to shoot big deer at that point. But I, I started saying, okay, well, that's why I'm killing big deer now because I'm staying out. Well, that's part of it. That's part of it. Yep. But now I've, you know, it's to a point where if you find one moving in daylight, you you need to move on him, you know, because 
you might have one there October 1st through the 10th that you're catching in daylight, but then all of a sudden, boom, he might get bumped out too. So if you can catch one um, moving in daylight and move in on him, and what we've started doing is small, you know, basically we call them kill plots, small green plots that... Uh, How big are they? Half acre? Yeah, we, I mean, quarter? anywhere from half to a quarter. I mean, a quarter smallest one would be this year's probably a quarter acre and then up to an acre. Right. And, it, you know, and, and with the box blinds and the bale blinds, we're actually kind of... And what are you we, planting in those? We plant uh, a mixture of uh, brassicas, radishes, turnips, yeah. and rape. And that's... Green what, plots. Green yeah. plots. Yeah, we've had a we've had a lot of luck with those. And, and we can plant them, you know, typically they're pretty hardy. You can plant those right. type of food plots and... And they'll grow even in dry, dry Yes. Conditions. Like right now, it's super dry down there. But I know if we just get a rain today, Boom. a decent rain, they're going to explode. And uh, they don't take as much. Like we've actually... It was funny because it was, it's been a few years, but we spilled some of the seed in our driveway by where we would park to go hunting and the turnips grew up through the rock, you know, so you just hunted right out of your car. Yeah. I didn't even, yeah, I just stayed right there. I knew that there was something about you. I just (laughs) yeah, Yeah. So yeah, we've been utilizing honestly trail cameras and, um, and, and food plots to really move in in early October on them. That's a great, I mean, Hey, that's a great point. Again, you mentioned green fields. I always say, hunt when it's warm, go green. When it gets cold, go to the grains. Yep. And and that's what we plant a variety of stuff up here. You know, we plant soybeans and corn for that that uh, November period into that late season stuff. And then we use that to hold the deer all winter. But we also go to the green stuff and and we use those in more of our kill plots like you do. And um, we plant our clovers and our our, our alfalfas. And uh, we'll also do the brassicas as well. Plant a lot of evolved shot plot and pro grays and a lot of those turnip blends. Yep. Uh, and we're planting them right now uh, during this August period and letting those, you know, those plots, you know, they grow quick. Yep. And we want them about knee high when our, our kind of our growing season ends here. What, first when part is of that September. Usually about the first part of September, it okay. starts really cool down here, get cold nights, and that's when the growing growing kind of halts so your plots are looking pretty good right now ours ours are looking wonderful they're really we've had the right i i watch rain you know i'll i'll look at the radar and say okay you know it looks like we're gonna get rain tomorrow so we'll get out and we'll work work it up and and plant it and cult the packet and not get a hopefully a nice easy rain that don't Mm -hmm. wash off the seed or wash away the seed and uh within a couple days it's already up and growing and we just went and looked at one you know yesterday and i mean it's already up uh you know to about your calf and, oh wow and uh it's just lush i mean and, yep. and that's providing a lot of that protein source for the deer it's very palatable i don't like to get it in too early because then it gets stemmy and it gets kind of tough it's yep. kind of like it's kind of like buying lettuce at the store that's been wilted and yeah it's not like you're eating nice, crisp, cold, succulent, you know, salad. Like, yep. and, and then you pour salad dressing on it, it makes it even better. And I think that we, I always equate like a, you get a, in the evening where it's cool and a little rainy and it makes that plant wet and the deer, they just pound those green sources. And that's one of my favorite places to get set up. And, you know, I mean, if you've watched Driven, I'm, 
You probably don't even watch Driven, do you? I've never seen it. <laughs> yeah. Sponsor us, but you don't even watch it. That's great. I, uh, I watch every episode. Well, we're going to we're gonna send some episodes home with you today, and we're going to put you... Uh, there you uh, go. Uh, we're going to quiz you next week on yep. what's on there. But uh, but we've been killing these deer early season, these big bucks. And, you know, it's some of it like about four or five years ago on a particular piece. Um, I had clover and alfalfa. Uh, planted in there and the deer actually it came out of his bedding area and nicole was set up in a small little kill plot and he walked right underneath her and she had already you know, laid claim to this deer and i told my cameraman that deer comes out i'm killing it the one so that's the one you shot last year no was that was a couple years okay earlier. it okay. was another booner it was a giant biggest one we had on the property at the time but nicole of course nicole's like that's my deer Yep. Um, that's the one I want to go after this year. Sounds like my wife. Yeah. They always do that. Yeah. It's funny do. how they do that yeah. too. But <laughs> I told her, I said, I'm not going to be around that long on this earth. You got a few more years on you so you can take second seat and I'm going to shoot first, you know? So <laughs> that's the way I always, that's, that's my that's excuse. The, okay. That's now I might try that. <laughs> you might year. try that one. Yeah. We'll see if it works. Yeah. I seen your wife's been killing some big ones too. Yeah, she, Last yeah. year she shot a giant. She shot a really good one. Early season, too, uh, on a green plot. So That's insane. Anyways, early season. Let's let's dive into that a little bit more. So I got these these plots. Of course, when I build a plot, a kill plot, I kind of incorporate a couple different things to try to lure deer in, not just because of the food source, but I put a water hole in a lot of times right in that food source, and a lot of these kill plots are interior plots. Back How big in the are they? They're, they're from a half an acre down. Okay. They're pretty small. Uh, you, they do succumb to a little bit of browse. That's uh, what I was wondering. Over browsing. And, and deer, a lot of times, will hit those pretty hard before they move out to the bigger stuff. But I, I protect them sometimes. We electric fence them. Sometimes we snow fence them. If I got corn or something in the interior there that they would just eat down right away and yep. or beans, they wouldn't give it a get it a chance to grow. So we'll we'll a lot of times protect that food source and let it mature. Then before hunting season, pull them fences down, um, and and that's worked well for us. But the idea is, you know, we put everything we can into that little area because we know that that's going to be an area we're going to draw in deer too. And in those plots, the nice part about the plots, they don't, the deer don't stay there for a long period of time. A lot of times they kind of hit them right away when they get up from their bedding, you know, where they're bedding in the evening and they move out and they hit those interiors and then they move out to a different food source because they move on. So it keeps your hunting pretty fresh, which I, I really like, you know, it's, it's a real good way to kind of how even if you have a small little area you don't own a lot of land you can still have good hunting because you don't over hunt it and the deer don't feel the pressure they're not a lot of times they're not there when you're leaving a lot of times they're moved on already yeah yep but that that water source will pull them in and and you know year after year we've shot big deer all all throughout the season but a lot of early season stuff when we can pull them into those little interior plots and they feel very secure you know because it's back in the timber and the only thing about them is they're trickier to plant. You got to deal with shade and you got to deal with acidic soil. Just got to fertilize them like crazy. And we do put some fertilizer on there. We just, uh, you got to lime them. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of that ground is 
you know, virgin ground. It's uh, very acidic because of leaf matter breakdown. So you got to yep. put about two ton of lime on per acre. And you don't want to get it in too deep. You want to go about two inches into the soil. But, and then I'll activate it a lot quicker. And then you got to pull soil samples every year and kind of see where you're at. But uh, we've had great luck using those interior plots. And, um, you know, I mean, hey, you can't argue. You mentioned October long. We'll talk about that as we segue into hunting the rut. But, I mean, the rut is obviously where most everybody always focuses in on, like, to go out and see. You see a lot more, you know, buck activity because there are a lot of deer on their feet at this period it's a fun time of year to hunt for sure it is great for calling yeah you know rattling and stuff obviously works fairly well you just you feel better as a hunter you know when you're out there and it's cold and yep and uh i mean i i love the rut the only bad thing is you mentioned earlier you know you can you can hit a phase where you can lock down and that and think a lot of the big ones we're hunting are the first ones to go into it right so right. and that's that's the way it is in nature. I mean, yes. the big ones that are going to do the most of the breeding are going to get with those first hot mm-hmm. does. And I always say that one of my favorite times to scrape hunt is just a week prior to that happening because that's when those bucks kind of come out of their nocturnal pattern and they start to move and they start to lay down scrapes. In our area, it's around the 22nd of October is when you start to see a lot of those scrapes really, those breeding scrapes, I call them primaries, they, they really start to open up. And if you can kind of key in on those scrapes right at that particular time, when them bucks have not found a hot doe because they're looking for the hot doe and they're yep. expecting a hot doe to go there and, and urinate in that scrape and then they can back her and, and find her, um, they're they're in that seeking phase and uh you know scrape hunting can be awesome yeah and that you know personally speaking that's one of my favorite times as well to inventory deer i put my muddy pro cams out hang them on scrapes and pretty much every residential buck in the area you're going to get on there several times but you're also going to get some non-residential deer that are cruisers or they're buffer deer that are coming from other properties and mm-hmm. they're they're looking as well and a uh, perfect time to you know get a bonus deer that's what happened to me this past year too it was we we you know this one farm is uh 900 acres and we kind of just litter it with with pro cams um and check them every week we can drive to basically every camera we have them on the outskirts where we can just drive right to them and it it was like the 25th of october mid-afternoon and it was fairly warm that day so i wasn't planning on hunting that day and we went out and you know checking go to camera to camera and obviously you're checking them as you go you don't want to wait till i get home you take so your you, computer right oh, out there? I, absolutely i do <laughs> sit there i think <laughs> i think i was driving and taylor was in the passenger seat flipping through cards and we had this one camera that was it was kind of just a random area we threw it up and this 170 inch deer just randomly showed up so that was i wish only, i had that problem yeah, it was a nice problem it's to have. It's a pretty good problem to have. And that was like the 24th, 25th. And then we had a cold front come through southern Iowa, like the 27th, 28th. And I moved in, and we had a stand already pre-hung there. And it was probably an hour and a half before dark. And I just love to rattle. I love to rattle big deer. And a lot of people say you shouldn't blind call and everything else. But down where I'm at, I've had really good luck with it. Right. I love that, too. And I hit the horns together. 
and it wasn't more than I could barely even hang him up, and I could hear a deer Boom. just crushing in, and it was him. <laughs> really? Yeah, it was him. So, what did you think when you saw him? Like, oh my gosh! Yeah, I was like, this is—is is this really going to happen? And he got to probably thirty yards, quartering two, and I was—he was on my bad side to even—I wasn't going to take that shot anyway. But he was the tree was between me and him, so he mm-hmm. couldn't see me. My friend Blake, who was filming this, his platform was like right here. So that deer is between me and him, and I'm like looking through Blake's feet at this buck. And at that point, I'm like, I'm gonna get busted because he circled downwind of us. Yeah. I'm like, I'm. It's done. I'm. I'm done. That's when and you need nose shammer. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I've never used that. I've heard good things about. I'll it. I'll give but, you some before you okay, take off. Yeah, perfect. It's good stuff. Um, he sat there for maybe a minute, and then he just turned and started kind of quartering away, and I shot him at. 42 yards oh so you did get the shot right oh yeah i got a shot at 42 and i practiced i practiced all summer so i was confident in that and he wheeled around and ran back the way he came and i he did you know he hit him good yeah i knew right away i knew like right when i released the arrow you know i knew he was done and he made it 30 yards and fell over so that was i think that i was pretty lucky the third day that i hunted last year and i had i shot him so but going back to your bonus buck no wonder iowa's your favorite state no, I understand. I've went all three year days with that. and he's done. I went all year with that shooting him before, too. <laughs> well, yeah, me too. <laughs> so, yeah, it felt good. And then it was like two days later, and, you know, we, my, you know, my friend Taylor works here at Muddy. He shot a 191. And yeah, then, Taylor's my idol, by the way. Yeah, yeah. He's shooting way too many big bucks. He shoots way too many big ones. I do yeah. all the work for him, though. That's right. Yeah, you should probably limit him to just antlerless deer from yeah, here on out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, then, and then Luke, who works at Muddy, he came down on... Does everybody at Muddy Hunt? Yeah, all of us do. <laughs> there you go. Hey, I mean, that's a good reason to support Muddy in itself, just all hunters. Yeah, and we, I mean, we believe in our products and we use them, and that's a lot of, you know, that goes towards our, you know, just trying to be innovative and, and uh, Not come to... out with the best products we can. We, we're out there in the field using them, so we see what, you know, what to do to make them better and how to change things and and how to consistently just grow as a brand and make the best products we can man that is so true (laughs) i can't tell you how much that means and how much how much further ahead muddy is because they have authentic people in the space i mean we deal with lots of different companies and i'm puzzled when sometimes you deal with companies that people they're not not hunters. They don't even understand hunting, and they're controlling, you know, an outdoor company yeah. that that sells product to hunters. It's kind of crazy to me in that respect. Um, but it is cool to be able to call you and say, "Hey, you know, what do you, you know?" Bounce questions off you and and this and that about products and stuff like that because you can then reference your hunting experience and what works for you and. And that kind of thing. And, of course, it, it relays all the way back to all the products you have in your line. I mean, you don't have anything gimmicky. you got stuff that works. That's so important when it comes to selling product to the consumer. The, the gimmicky products, they just don't last. At the end yeah, of the they, day, they just don't last. I mean, they come in and, and they're gone as quick as they come in. So there's a reason that, you know, the, the querying family has been in the tree stand business for Ever. A lot of years, right. and um, now we're like you know we've moved into the box blind lineup. We're doing trail cameras. I mean, bail blinds. Yeah, all, you guys all are kinds just, of things. Yeah, you got a lot more going on. Of course, you acquired Muddy a couple years back, and uh, 
kind of folded the big game stuff into the entire muddy. It became a muddy line. So basically, we still do the big game. Um, we still have the big game line, and you know what we what we envision that line of is you know that's that's a good brand, and then we've got the muddy. That's you know that's even the more uh, high end brand. So right. we still we still have both, um, and we're proud of both of them. They both have, you know, they both have their own products and, and their own uses. They hit different price points. There's, you know, there's guys out there that they laugh at spending, spending money on a hard sided blind. Why right. there's other guys that have no problem with that. There's guys that they might only be able to hunt a few days a year. So they want to buy a, you know, a, a lesser priced stand. Yeah. They don't just don't have the budget to do it. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, yep. guys, it's, and we want to relate to everybody. I've been, I've been there. And it's not easy to sometimes have fifty dollars to go spend on a, a hang on stand. And and you I remember the day when I only had one hang on stand. And of course, if I wanted to hunt somewhere else, I have to take it down, yeah. move it, and that kind of thing. And and now I got a couple of them, thanks mm-hmm. to you guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. uh you know, it's again so true. Um I can tell you though, even that guy who's spending the you know, not as much money is still going to have a good product at the end of the day, and he can you know, and still reuse it for many years. Yes, exactly. I still have some of the the very first big game stands that I have. And of course, they're steel stands; they'll yep. last forever. I mean, they yep. are not going to rot away. Yep. You know, sometimes you have to replace the straps, and of course, check them over for safety purposes. But you know, those stands will last forever. Yep. Yes, you know, the squirrels might chew the the foam off the seat and stuff like that, but there's a lot of them that are still in trees out there that uh that i put there since day one and they're just in one of the they're in that magical spot you know that there's no reason to ever take them down just get back in there and trim them out and and check them over i think that's another thing that since we're on that subject and i don't want to keep bouncing all over the place but just uh though i think we've always been an advocate of course of tree stand safety and and practicing the utmost safety um, stuff because you owe it to your family, your friends and your family to always come back, you know, safely. And of course, you know, when you guys started making, you know, the safety harnesses and stuff like that, we started using the muddy brand. And I mean, this, this is a system that it's just lightweight. It's, you know, you don't even notice you have it on easy to get on and off. It's going to save your life. Yes. Especially, you know, and and everybody should be using safe lines as well. So then right. And and they never used to have that. I remember the day when we had a a tree belt and we thought that that was the thing. I mean, if you did fall out, I mean, I guess we would have just hung, hung there by our waist. Yeah. Probably cinched us up a little Mm -hmm. bit, but now, you know, like you mentioned, you got a safe line that comes all the way from the top from up where your stand location is all the way to the base and you you clip in and as you climb you know you're still you should always have three points of contact the whole way up and that's right that's a good point three point yep and then when you go to uh to to hang the stand in the first place be using your lineman's you know lineman's belt and uh you should never it doesn't matter if it's a foot off the ground you know you should always be tied in and we make the products to do that. There's a lot of great products out there that do that. Um, it's just, there's no excuse. Everybody should go home at the end of the day to their family. Right. And I've known, I mean, I have some friends that have fallen out of trees. Uh, Mike McCabe, you know him. He fell out of a tree up in Canada, bear hunting, and just wasn't practicing. Didn't have a safety harness on. Yeah. That, it can happen at in a blink of an eye. And, and sometimes when you're least expecting it, and a lot of people, of course, fall if they don't have, you know, 
they don't have the lifeline or they're not practicing, they fall on the way up or way into the stand or out of the stand. And it's when you least have that most points of contact. And and that's why we make the products that we do. We want everybody to, you know, at the end of the day, go home to their family. And Right. And I think that's, I mean, ladder stands, you guys have done ladder stands. A lot of people have went to ladder stands over the course of time where they used to have hang-ons and as uh as our kind of our hunting populace gets ages and gets older you know it's not as easy to climb in and out of these things as it is getting in a ladder stand and you know ladder stands become much more you know used by a wide variety of hunters very comfortable of course you know for young and old to get in and uh boy you you know back in the day you, you didn't see a lot of ladder stands out there but there's certainly a lot being manufactured now and and some really comfortable ways to go in that portion but uh i think one of the my favorite things that really has transpired as of late and you mentioned it here earlier is how you guys got into building the blinds yes and, and now are become a real prominent source for these permanent blinds and i'll tell you right now after using the muddy bull blinds and and i'm excited about the new stuff coming out it these things are the cat's meow when it comes to hunting out of uh for lots of different reasons and we'll dive into that but if you haven't hunted out of these permanent blind structures it's kind of the wave of the future don't wouldn't you say yeah i think that uh it's definitely the way that a lot of things are going i think that once people hunt out of them once then they realize that it's not just about being comfortable. It's there's so many more advantages to them, especially when you, you know, you you get into insulated blinds like what we make, and um, I believe we're one of the only companies in the market that makes an insulated blind right now, and uh, that just makes a huge difference with not only your you know noise. We've mm-hmm. all been in those blinds where if you drop something, it sounds like a grenade went off. Um, that doesn't happen in ours. Um, so you got noise control, you got thermal control. Um, and scent control and uh, that's that's huge that's that's honestly that's the reason i hunt out of them right now because uh, a deer's number one defense is his nose and a lot of the places that we hunt we may have the perfect wind when we go in and, and even if not, the wind's not swirling but in the evening especially early when we're hunting those uh, green plots is when we noticed it last year quick little story i'll just throw you know go through it really quick but um we had a we had a bail blind on this little food plot and we knew and our access was good and we had a perfect wind and we knew there was a buck that we had photos of for three years and he was a fully mature just old buck and he started moving in daylight on this plot so we moved in on him and we had a perfect wind and he came out and it was october 4th and just like it does a lot of the times that wind starts to die towards the end of the evening and our thermals dropped and it wasn't, you know, 10 minutes of light left and the whole field cleared. So Taylor was actually filming me that night and we talked about it and we said, you know what, like we got to move a box blind in here. So we moved a box blind in there and that's when my wife shot that big one. And, yeah. and, and, you know, if you keep that's the insane. windows closed, yep. you can get away with anything oh, yeah. in those things. It's amazing. So you don't have to worry about when the thermals drop. You, you, you know, if you can get to that blind and the wind switches on you. And I'm never going to tell people like, hey, like go hunt with the wrong winds, obviously. But there's times where it will happen. And there's times where, you know, you might have a food plot right here 
And there's not a such thing as a perfect win. There might be a better win, but you don't know necessarily where that buck's going to yeah, come from. Deer's coming from come every from. direction. So from those regards, don't get me wrong, they're super comfortable. I mean, I love that part of them. They're, it's nice in the wintertime. It's nice when it's colder out. Uh, just from a thermal control aspect, it's great. But the number one reason I think that a lot of people are starting to switch to them is because they're they're realizing that they can get away with marginal winds. They can get away with deer that circle downwind. They can really fool deer's nose with these things. And if you can do that, then it just gives you such an advantage. Oh, 100%. I mean, that's that's a big reason why we believe in them as well. Of course, they're safe. They're very safe yes. to get in and out of. Um, but we use these things so much because we take the kids hunting. Mm-hmm. And uh, it it allows them to have a much more pleasurable experience, I guess you might say, um, versus if they were being out there in the elements when it, maybe it's late season when it's colder and you can't, you know, get in into a tree stand, it's going to be kind of miserable. They kind of spoil you. Yeah, they, well, hey, I'm getting, I am getting older, man. Yeah. I need to be a little bit more spoiled, mm-hmm. but um, I mean... I remember the day when my dad, we would build these fortresses in the trees, you know, out of wood and, and make a, you know, kind of something similar, only it never had any type of scent control to, or, yeah. you know, you couldn't contain your scent because it was just open aired. It, yep. you know, had a roof system to keep the elements off you. But now, I mean, these things, I mean, you're never going to get wet. You're going to stay warm because you, like you said, they're insulated, but the the fit and finish is what I'm most impressed with the muddy blinds. And I've sat in pretty much every one that's made because we hunt with a lot of outfitters. We have a lot of different brands, not trying to, you know, blow smoke where I shouldn't here, but I'm, I'm just saying that after you guys really started putting these things out and kind of tweaked them a little bit here and there, the fit and finish to the, the window systems and the quietness and, and the seal that these things get and, the longevity with the the outer, uh, the finish on the outside, and the roof systems. I mean, these are going to last you a long period of time. Of course, they set on a twelve foot steel frame, you know, for the bulls and stuff. Ten foot. Ten foot. Are they ten footers? Yep. yep. We have five and ten foot options, um, and we got multiple options. Seems like for they're the higher to me. I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> I thought they were twelve yeah. foot. Yep. Ten footers. It, anyways, you're sitting up there. Get you you know, a higher vantage point where you can see a lot of times into those, you know, over those crop fields and stuff like that. We got them set out all throughout our properties and, um, and we move ours around, you know, sometimes we'll, we might set it here one year and move it over to a different food source for the following year, but they have really changed the way we hunt. And I, I can't stress that enough. I, I know that they're kind of expensive initially, but they pay for themselves so fast considering that the odds of, you know, increase your odds so much by, by, uh, you know, not having to go out there time and time again and mess up on things. You, you just, yeah, again, there's, there's so many ways they benefit you, whether it's scent control, you know, being warmer, sitting longer, you're not froze to death, uh, yep. that kind of thing. I think that's just, so crucial, and I can't say enough about them. And we're also excited because you guys, if it's new for Muddy this year, is you're coming out with a new 
penthouse series, which is even bigger. How big is that? And tell me about it. Yeah, so the the penthouse, everybody knows about our bull. Our bull is a six by six. And then and that's um, pretty big. I can get big, myself yeah. and, and a camera and a tripod and two of my kids in there and we're mm-hmm. still pretty comfortable. Yeah. So we, we took that and we basically, well, the name, you know, fits itself. We made it what we call the penthouse and it is uh, about 25% larger than the bull. It has, uh, you know, larger windows, horizontal windows. I like that. Which I really like that as well. Because um, you now you can shoot out of that center window. You can yep. shoot a bow and arrow and mm-hmm. not have to use your side windows like the bulls had the vertical yep. windows before. But now you can shoot out of every window in this blind. Right? Yeah, the front window and, I, and I've shot um, I've shot deer out of the horizontal windows in the bull, but it's just so you it's know, the one thing about the penthouse is it, it, it's a, it's the the size is double, so the, the window size is double. It's all still hand, you know one hand operable, silent windows, residential glass. Um, so all that stuff's good, but the main thing is it's, it's larger. It, you know, if you got a bunch of kids, you can hang out in there. If you're, if you're into filming your hunts, it's great for that. The larger windows, like I said, are huge. It still has all the, you know, I guess the same meat and potatoes as the bulls and, and the gunner as far as thermal scent noise yep. control. So, we got one of those gunner blinds too. They're nice, but it's more of a single person. It's perfect for, for a gun hunter, for a gun hunter or a crossbow hunter. Yeah. What do they kind of retail for? So... The gunners. The, the gunners gonna depend on. So I mean, we you can get it on without a base with a five foot tower with a ten foot tower. But you know, if you go to GoMuddy.com um, or call any any dealer near you, you'll be able to find out the retailers retailer on retail on all of those. But um, right around, depending on what you get, sixteen to nineteen hundred dollars. I mean, yeah. well, that's that's still a pretty good deal. You can't yeah. get nothing nowadays for that kind of price that's had any quality. And actually, sure. Taylor, it's it actually I think it's less than that. Taylor, what is that retail on that? Yeah, 14.99. 14.99 without a tower. Or is yeah. that Yeah, yeah I just kind of go to the, So 14.99 basically $1500 give or take depending, you know, what wow. options you pick with it. That's a pretty good deal. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, where can they go and, and check find these and look at these? So on you your can site? yeah, you can head to gomuddy.com. Um Check out all of our products, but check out our blinds. We have a box blind page right there. There's also a dealer locator. So our dealer network is spreading rapidly. We have great dealers all across the country um, that sell a lot of blinds every year. So if there's not a dealer in your area, you can always give us a call. But otherwise, get a hold of you know your dealers and the dealers close to you and you better check them out great. in person. That's great information. We so much appreciate you uh, joining us today talking about big deer and uh we wish you all the best with the ehd stuff going on down there and uh hopefully you shoot a big buck again keep me posted on on what's happening we'll get you back here and we'll talk more big deer coming up down the road uh but anyways we appreciate it again chris i appreciate you having me here